Shabbat Shalom, everyone. As you can tell, Rabbi Josh is out of, he's actually out of the state right now, um, spending time with some family and other colleagues in um, the Messianic movement um, to get some edification and to learn some more about what's happening across our movement and to um, also spend time with his family. So today we have Sean Emsley. Most of you have probably seen uh, Sean around and maybe know he runs the sound, so up there. But what you probably don't know about him is that he has been a faithful member of AZS for many years and runs a popular blog on Messianic Judaism. He recently completed a Master of Arts degree and pastoral ministry, already holds a Master of Science in Education, Media and Design, and is currently completing a third Master's toward a doctorate and Jewish studies. So it's a pleasure, a complete pleasure, to have Sean share a drash with us this morning. Please come up and please welcome him. All right, good morning. Can everybody hear me? Closer. Yeah, it's weird being the sound person. I'm, 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 it's weird, I'm not in control of the sound. It's like, where's where the sound guy could, could uh, turn up the volume or something? But. That person, that person is me. So, <laughs> so it's good to be with you today, and uh, and uh, this is my my first time giving giving a sermon here. So, so it's, uh, it's it's an exciting, great opportunity. It was it was something something amazing that uh, when Josh asked Rabbi Josh asked me a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, okay, I'll do it, and and uh, it's been been. Uh, Great opportunity preparing for this, and uh, like to uh, just before I start, my, my parents are here today, so I wanted to. They're, they're here. They're here visiting with us. They've been with us many times before, but uh, let me just actually that might go up because we want to bring it up closer to you. Yeah, I wasn't sure. That. Just in case. Just. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Yes, yeah, so, 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 someone is is recording me. I, I did I did I did push the record button before I came came down here. So, so uh, well, we're going to be looking at the first few verses of uh, our Torah reading from uh, Vayera, which is Genesis eighteen verses one through eight, which in, is in page thirty four in Hebrew and thirty five in English in the Tanakh. And uh, I'll be reading a slightly different translation this is from the, the uh, program I used to put together the message, which I believe this more likely is the JPS 1917, so it'll be a little older language, but uh, the uh, similar, similar in, to what we have in the Stone Tanakh. And I'll just read through the verse again. We, it's always good to hear the, hear the scriptures read, and we... And, and uh, that's what we will start. So this is starting with verse 1 of Genesis 18. And the Lord appeared unto him by the terebinth of Mamre. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood over against him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed down to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, 
Pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let now a little water be fetched, and wash your feet, and recline yourself under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread, and stay your heart, after you shall pass on, for as much as you are come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quick three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran into the herd, and fetched a calf, tender and good, and gave it unto the servant, and he hastened to dress it. And he took curd and milk, and the calf which he had dressed, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. So, let's, uh, so as we in the, in the message here, we'll like to uh, open with a word of prayer. O Lord, open my lips that I may declare your praise, Lord. We thank you for your Torah. We thank you for your Basora that we will be also looking at today, Lord. We thank you for our Messiah who gives us the strength to live your Torah. We thank you. We bless you. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. So, so the, the, with the first, ver, the first verse on, begins with, And the Lord appeared unto, the, up unto him in the terebinth of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. So Josh actually, in his, in his mini-drosh, kind of, kind, of, kind of gave some more background to that, to that verse. As I said, this was just after, actually the, the uh, tradition says it was actually three days after after Abraham had circumcised himself, so it's it's amazing to think that he was he was doing anything more than than that that he was just just uh, resting under the tree, and it's interesting that that uh, actually Rabbi Sforno makes the point that that the later the later promise in this chapter of the birth of Isaac and and the continuing of the blessing to Abraham was actually actually happen at this place because it was the place that Abraham circumcised himself, that Abraham took that first act of, of following God's commands. And then, then later, later that the promise, the promise was, later, was later given that the birth of the son would be coming in a year to actually fulfill the promise of the, the many generations coming from, from Abraham. In verse 2, it says, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood over against him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent. Along with one of the three, three, as it says in the first verse, that it was actually, actually the Lord appeared to him. So it's, it's considered by many that one of the three of the visitors was actually Hashem in, in human form. And the two other angels, which we'll see later in the chapter, were the two angels that went down to Saddam to rescue Lot and then eventually, eventually to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse 3, Abraham said, And Lord, Lord, if now I find favor in your sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from your servant. And Abraham here is, is, is demonstrating the importance of hospitality, which actually in, in Shabbat 127a in the Talmud, Rav Huda quoting the Rav, said, Welcoming guests is more important than receiving the face of the Shekhinah. As it says, do not pass by your servant. So it's interesting here that, that, that in his act, 
in his act of welcoming, welcoming these strangers that are coming to him, he was, it's likened to actually represent the presence of God. Which, interestingly enough, if you, if you see that one of the visitors was actually, actually Hashem in human form, it, it really fits together that he was, actually, he was both figuratively and actually, actually uh, coming across and, and representing God. This appearance of God is known by many as a theophany. Uh, Nahum Sarna in the, in the GPS commentary on Genesis wrote, unlike the previous theophanies, this one is not accompanied by an act of worship or the building of an altar. In actual fact, hospitality of strangers itself becomes an act of worship. As we see in other times when Abraham and also later with Jacob, when they had an encounter with God, right after that point, they built an altar as, and, and performed a sacrifice as an act of worship, of which at this point, there isn't actually an altar built and a sacrifice made. But as Sarna is saying here, is the act of hospitality of the strangers was that act of worship, connecting that by showing his kindness to strangers, it was an act of worship to God, like, like in, in the building of the, of the uh, altars in the other, other places. Verse 4 we read, And let now a little water be fetched, and wash your feet, and recline yourselves under the tree. It's an interesting, it's, it's, there's an interesting interpretation on this story that I've not seen before. I just came across in my, my research yesterday, is that Rabbeinu Shananel actually, actually believes that rather than one of the visitors coming to, one of the three visitors being Hashem in human form, it was actually the terebinth tree that was actually, actually the tree, which is kind of an interesting thing. And he, and he brings out from that 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 the tree represented God in the, in the picture, because a tree can, even when it's old, continues to bring branches. So, so like Abraham, who is now 99 years old, and Sarah, who is 90 years old, who are well past, past having children, even they could bring forth branches, which would be Isaac, and then from him, I, the, the full Jewish people. So, that's, so that was an interesting thing that I usually always, always seems to be the, that, that the Hashem is representative as one of the visitors, but as I said, Rabbeinu Shananel, who actually said that it was actually the tree that they were actually sitting under. In verse 5 through 7 we read, And I'll fetch, fetch a morsel of bread, and you shall stay your heart. After that you shall pass on. For as much as you have come to your servant, they said, So do as you said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran into the herd and catched a calf tender and took it and gave it to his servant, and he hastened to dress it. And as I said, in time, time to earlier, we were talking about, about hospitality being an act of worship. In Pirkei Avot, Shammai said, Make your Torah permit, say little and do much, and receive every person with a pleasant con- countenance. So this ties together that his, his quick action to, to c- come to the aid and to come to uh, show hospitality is, is tied here into, to an act of worship and also as, as an act of observing Torah. And in reference to in reference to, to the meal, Sarna 
also commenting on the book of Genesis, said, that is a sign of the great respect and hospitality that Abraham offered his guests. Bread he made from the finest flour. He makes a point that it's not just any flour for these guests, but to bring, make it from the finest flour and uh, to, bring, to bring yogurt and milk, which were prized, prized possessions of, of nomadic peoples, especially that, that being the milk was actually used in worship by some of the people in the land. And then also, and also to, to bring a calf, which was also a highly valuable item for, for people, especially because you have to kill, you, you know, unlike a crop, you can, you can grow it again, but you, you know, you kill a calf, the calf's dead, and you have to, you have to get another one. So he showed, showed that he highly valued these guests by giving him the best of what he had in his, uh, in his, uh, his supplies. Water now. In verse 8 we read, And he took curd and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. So it's interesting that Abraham, in his meal for his guests, serves them a meal that included milk and meat which the Torah would later prohibit, as we read three times in the Torah, in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. It could be said that Abraham had not received the command to not mix meat and milk that was given on Mount Sinai to Moses, and therefore there's not yet a violation of God's will for him. And this can kind of be, kind of be seen from, from our, our practice for, for Shavuot, which is... Not, I always get Shavuot and Sukkot. Shavuot, right? Shavuot, where, where dairy dishes are served. And the tradition behind that was because, because 10 days earlier with the giving of the Torah, that, that, uh, where, where God, God gave the command to, to not eat meat and milk together, that, uh, that dairy dishes are, are eaten. So, so, so there would just be one one meal. There wouldn't be there wouldn't be a, people having multiple either dairy or meat meals. That'd be just just by the tradition for just having having uh, dairy dairy meals and dairy dishes. The most common ter- ter- interpretation in Judaism for the verse reflected in Josephus, the Targum Jonathan, and Talmud is that the angels were not. They just appeared to eat the eat the eat the food. They did not. They did not violate any, any commands. That's actually what's also in the stone edition. They said that, that the angels just appeared to eat the food, but still, that doesn't actually actually explain the problem of Abraham serving the meal with with milk and meat. But uh, which was the dot dot zekanim, a group of medieval rabbis, said that the laws of the Torah did not apply to the angels. So then, like non-Jews, the angels are free to eat meat and milk together without violating commands. They also defended Abraham by stating that it should be understood that Abraham gave the visitors milk dishes first while he killed, prepared, and cooked the meat. So then the milk dishes could be seen as an appetizer that was eaten before the meal was later served. And that, that, actually, that actually is in alignment with the, the MGRC's the Messianic Jewish Rubin Council, which we were part of, that actually allows for eating milk 
milk dish, milk before having meat dishes. But the Radek, Rabbi David Kimke, before that Abraham offered the guests a choice of milk meat, meal or a meat meal, kind of like Nagila pizza, which is over here on Pika, that they have, they have, they have the, the Nagila pizza where you can get great, great uh, I like their spinach, spinach pizza. And then right next to it, there's Nagila meeting place. And so there's, 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 in their patio, there's like, there's a, there's like a wall between them, so you, a short wall, so you, so, 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 so you can have your, you know, your one people that want, want to eat dairy foods there, the, the dairy side, they can have their pizza over there, and then the next person next to them, they have their, their hamburgers. So, 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 so this, is, this was kind of, this is kind of what Rabbi, Rabbi Kimke said, it was, it was kind of like, they were given a choice, they could either have the, the curds and, and the milk, or they could have the, have the calf. So, the, so as 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 it as it is, is said, you know, with with two Jews, there are three opinions, and we have three different opinions right there from different rabbis to explain, which would seem which seemingly would be the problem of Abraham giving having a, a meal for his guests with both meat and milk dishes. But and after and after Abraham served his guests, showing his hospitality. An earlier mention is an act of worship. He and Sarah received the promise of the birth of Isaac, the promise of a son from Sarah in continuing fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. So as the, as the circumcision of Abraham three days earlier allowed for, for him to, to have this encounter with God and to have this, this blessing of a son being promised to him, Isaac, who would be com- coming around a year later, Born to a 90-year-old mother, a 99-year-old, 90-year-old father. We can also see that his act of hospitality here to the visitors coming to him was an act of worship that he did and also showed that his faithfulness to God was there and that, and that from his faithfulness, which he continued to show, first showing it with his, his circumcising himself, and then later, they're showing, showing hospitality to his guests. He showed that he was to be a man that exemplified what God wants for us and, and, uh, and to be the father of the Jewish people. We can also see, we can also see a, an example of hospitality in our Besorah reading, which was from John 2, verses 1 through 12. And... Uh, as we had, we had just we had just read that, just as a reminder that uh, in John chapter two, the first the first uh, three verses, it was talking about a wedding, wedding at Canaan in the Galilee, and Yeshua, his mother Miriam, and his Talmudim went to this wedding, and it's interesting in the first verse, it's amazing it's amazing how 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 even how every word seems to have meaning, that in the uh, Dr. Stern's version, the complete Jewish Bible. In verse 1, it says, On Tuesday there was a wedding at Canaan, the Galil, and the mother of Yeshua was there. And I, and I saw that and I thought, that's kind of odd that it actually gave a day. And it was like, especially it was like Tuesday. It's like, it was like you know, it seemed, it seemed, it seemed like, like that was like a random detail. But actually, actually as I came to, to do some research on it, traditionally, weddings would take place First weddings would take place on Wednesdays, and if it, and if the person was the person was was widowed, it would actually be on Thursdays. 
But, but for a first, a first wedding, actually, said, actually in, in the Talmud it says that the wedding of a virgin would be on Wednesday. So, so given, given the tradition of, of a week-long wedding, wedding, wedding party, Tuesday would actually be like the, the seventh day of the, of the event. So that kind of gives a little more, little more to what the story was talking about. The, it came down to the last day of the wedding and they ran out of wine. So, so it was like, it was like the, 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 the person who put together the wedding had not planned ahead to, to be sure they had enough wine for, for the seven days. So that, 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 adds, that, that adds to the crisis is that is that it's actually the last day of the wedding and there is no wine. And it's interesting, as soon as I was reading that, that actually, actually that, that there was actually a, a, a civil liability for, being, for inviting guests to a wedding or an event and you didn't have supply, didn't have food, wine, and things for them. So if they ran out of the food, they actually the, the person, the bridegroom, or the person who was, who was actually the, the, the head of the event, could actually be taken to court for being inhospitable. That, that was actually considered to be a civil crime. So, so, more, so more than just, so, so, more, so, more than, so more than actually just being an embarrassment for the bridegroom, he could actually be taken to court by the people who were there and, and actually be sued because they ran out of wine. You know, that he was, that he would, had, you know, that his, there was a criminal liability for that, not, not a criminal, but a civil liability for being inhospitable for, for not planning ahead and inviting people and not taking care of them. So, so they, they run out of wine, there's a crisis. Yeshua's mother comes to him and says, they have no more wine. And then in verse 4, Yeshua said, Mother, why should that concern me or you? My time has not come. Verse, verse 4 has always, has always seemed to bother me, especially in the older, older translation of the King James Version that says, Woman, why you bother me? That it seems, it seems as, that at minimum Yeshua was being rude to his mother, or even worse, that he was actually dishonoring his mother, which would be a violation of the fifth commandment. But Dr. David Stern, in his, in his commentary on, the, on this verse, said that, for one, the, the word woman, as it's used in the Greek, is not as stark and as, it, as it would be in English to say, you know, woman, what's, 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 what's wrong with you, or why are you bothering me, you know, what's... So, so that, that, that was one thing, and, and, but, but he also commented on this, he said, Yeshua's comment is meant to aid Miriam in the transition from seeing him as her child to seeing him as her Lord, to keep her from undue pride, and to indicate that he, Yeshua, was Lord, sovereignly determined when he will in intervene in human affairs. He does not perform miracles on demand merely to impress his friends or even to give joy to his mother. So, we see, we see Dr. Stern saying, rather than being disrespectful, Yeshua was actually, actually speaking to his mother and making clear to her that there, that there was a transition in their relationship from him just being her son, Yeshua, to being Yeshua the Messiah, her Lord and King. So, so this, this, this here is considered actually the first miraculous, of the, the first miracle that Yeshua that Yeshua performed. So in essence, in essence, this here is kind of a transition period from to that point it was Yeshua, the son of, son of Mary and Joseph, and at this point 
you know, beginning with his miracles, the beginning of, of, his, of his, uh, his coming to show himself as the Messiah and as, as the Lord who, who had come among the Jewish people. And then in verses 5 through 9, we have the, have the, uh, the details of how they took the, that Yeshua called for the six, the six wine, the six water jars for the ceremony of washing to be brought forward and filled. Which is interesting, this is, this is, it says here 20 to 30 gallons. I was reading yesterday that they said, that say if it was 25 gallons, then the six would be 150 gallons, which would be 700 and 80 bottles of wine. So I'm thinking this was a pretty, there were either a lot of people or there were people who drank a lot of wine if, you, if, if, they, if they needed an extra, an extra 150 gallons of wine to get through the final day of the wedding. And finally, and finally the, 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 the jars of water were filled and then Yeshua asked that the, that the man in charge of the banquet take a, a ladle of the wine, wine to the man in charge of the wedding. And he tasted it, and he brought it to the bridegroom. And verse 10 says, says and, then, and then he said to them, Everyone else also serves the good wine first, and the poorer wine after. People have drunk freely, but you have kept the good wine until now. So it's, it's, it's an, it's a, so in here, for one, for one you had the fact that, that it was just the matter of that he turned the water into wine. But more than that, he actually turned it into the best wine. So, so rather than... And, and, and this, can, this can kind of be seen in the, as a connection to, to Abraham, who gave the best of his, of his grain, the best of his, of his dairy products, the best of his, of his flock to his guests. Here is Yeshua in, in helping, here, here Yeshua in helping the bridegroom be hospitable, didn't give him just any wine, you know, that whatever, whatever had been the, the, the tubak chak of... Uh, of uh, the uh, first century, but he, you know he, he. I wonder. I wonder. I wonder if they. I wonder if they had their version of uh, of Manischewitz. So, but 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 ra- rather than just giving anything to the, to the bridegroom, he he made the best wine. The the, the wine wine that would usually be served first. And then later, when the people were now seven days into the, you know, and that's and and uh, that seven days in, they really wouldn't really care much what what they were actually drinking, drinking at that point. But as I said, like like Abraham, Yeshua helped helped the hospitality of the the bridegroom by making the best wine. And verse seven says, "This is the first of Yeshua's miraculous signs he did at Canaan and Galilee." He manifested his glory, and his Talmudim came to trust in him. So this, this was considered the first miracle that Yeshua did in his ministry. And the point here, point here as I said, is that he was showing, at this point, he, he was showing his glory to his Talmudim. He was, he was making himself known to his disciples, you know, that, you know, that I'm more than just a teacher. I am, I am the Messiah. I am the, the one who has come to... Uh, to be with you, and as the and this is a, this is a, a story of hospitality and appearance of the revealing of God. This time with Yeshua in the flesh at the wedding, and revealing His divine power in an act of helping the bridegroom from seeming inhospitable by running out of wine, and also, also as we said, as I said earlier, to, to avoid any civil liability for the bridegroom that 
that he, he, could, have been, he could have been sued for not having, having a, a full seven-day supply of wine. In the New American Commentary on, on verse 11, it says, the point of the story is brought together in, in verse 11. The words are simple, but the meaning is profound. John identified the action in the story as a sign. In John, a sign is more than just a wonder. It is a powerful act for the one who has eyes to see because it points to the reality of who Yeshua is. This Cana story provided an epiphany, a manifestation of Yeshua's glory in John as derived from the, the uh, Tanakh idea of God's kavod, the holiness of God, which implies the mighty power of God evidenced in epiphanies or perceived manifestations. In John, the mighty God is perceived as acting in Yeshua. The signs therefore point the reader to the reality that the God of the Tanakh has acted anew in Messiah Yeshua. So in this act of turning the water and the wine, this first miracle, Yeshua was showing his power, showing his divine power, and he was making himself known to his disciples as the, as the one that they were to follow. In this Parsha, we have seen Abraham's hospitality to the three visitors, one which can be understood as a theophany or God revealed in physical form. And the two angels that will later in the chapter, after the meal, go down to Saddam to rescue Lot and also destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham saw God and received the news of the birth of the son Isaac by Sarah to come within a year. Abraham was revealed that a miraculous birth was to come to continue the fulfilling of God's promises. That Abraham, through his, his, his faithfulness to circumcise himself, and also this act of showing hospitality, showed him that he was the one that God was to use and was to be the vessel through which God would bring redemption and would bring through the Jewish people. And, and because of that the show of faithfulness that he did, he was given the promise of the son, Isaac, who would be born in a year to, as I said, to then a 100-year-old, 100-year-old Abraham and a 91-year-old Sarah. In our restored reading in John, we see Yeshua turning water into wine, a miraculous sign of his divine nature within an act of hospitality. Because in this, in that, in that his, in this act, he was helping the bridegroom to not be embarrassed in front of his guests, and also, as I said, to avoid any, any financial liability. Yeshua, like his forefather Avraham, lived a life of hospitality and faith in God's plan and began making himself known to the world as the divine son at a wedding in Cana. May we follow the example of our Messiah and Father Avraham and live lives of hospitality and service to all and reveal the goodness and power of God in our world. Let's pray. O oh Lord, you are good. We thank you, Lord, for the giving of the Torah. We thank you, Lord, for the giving of our Messiah. We thank you, Lord, for your word, which gives us strength and gives us the example for us to live our lives. We thank you for the ability to come and worship you and to stand before our God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. B'Shem Yeshua Adonai. Amen.